Hello. Okay. Tonight I want to start. I want to. I want to ask you guys some questions. Okay. They're going to be questions about you. You can't fail this test. It'll be a test that everyone gets right. Okay. But I want to ask you questions about what is your ideal thing? What is, in fact, uh, what is your ideal meal? Your perfect meal. And I want you to find person next to you if you can, or close to you if you can, and tell them what your favorite meal is. Have a little conversation. Let them know what your favorite meal is. And I'm going to ask someone. Let me see here. Uh, Chad, what is your favorite meal? Biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy. Wow. Liam, what's your favorite meal? What? Oh, okay. My favorite meal is brisket and coleslaw. And uh, now, what is your, you could get any car, any car. Now, don't say BMW, don't say Cadillac. Be specific about the, your ideal car, the perfect car. You, if you guys, if we could walk out to the parking lot right now and it would be out there for you. What's the ideal car? Ginger, do you have an ideal car? Okay. Chad. Chad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. Hydraulics? <laughs> okay. Next one is, what is your ideal vacation? Your idea, if you could, if I could somehow point to you and evaporate you out of here and take you where your ideal place. Now, that does not mean the place that once a year, your relatives go, they rent the place, and you have to go, okay? That's called hell. That's not vacation. Your ideal place you want to go, and there's no one there you know, or maybe there is someone there you know. Your ideal place. Who is thinking the mountains? Anyone? No? Oh, there we go. Okay. Is anyone thinking beach, tropical? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Mine is tropical. Whenever I go to the beach, I can actually, I zone out. In fact, I have a picture of a beach in my office and I'll sit there and watch it sometime and it just brings me, brings me. That's my ideal place. Well, tonight I want to talk with you about, I want to talk to you about um, a little more than an ideal meal and a little more than a, a vacation. I want to talk to you for a minute about an ideal community, my ideal community. Okay, my ideal community, where where I could be, everything would be if if I wanted it. If I wanted my perfect ideal community, would be a safe community. It would be a community where police are bored and don't have anything to do because people don't steal from each other. Okay, my other one would be where drug dealers don't have anyone to sell to. And the people in the town 
If there's any, they all leave because everyone reports them. So they leave town. Addiction facilities have to close. They have to move to other counties. Okay? Um, School systems. School systems would be a place where kids are so well-behaved. School systems would be incredible that teachers would come in and be able to actually teach, would have so much time to teach that they would actually, the school system would be so much further than others because they don't have to deal with behavior problems. Next one would be divorce attorneys have to change their practice because people stay married who get married. Next one, teenage pregnancy would be eradicated. Young men were to learn to follow Jesus, love Jesus, and not objectify women. And women would learn to find their identity in Christ and not in the guy they're dating. Now, I want to take just a minute because the, this ideal community, um, it's not just a theory. It's not just a myth. Um, the reason I believe in it is because I've seen it, okay? Um, about 30 years ago, there was a couple of men that for whatever the reasoning was behind, they wanted to start an ideal community, a Christian community about 30 years ago, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Whatever their motives were for doing it, whether it was money or, or to ideally start this Christian community, they looked around the United States and they found a place in the United States that had, it was a town of about a little over 200 people, a little under 300 people. And so what they did is they went there and they brought property and they started advertising the property in the United States. And the deal was these communities, these properties that they split up were five and seven acres and they split these things up and they would only sell to people that got qualified and checked. And the biggest thing when they had to be Christians. Wouldn't have sold to anyone that's not a Christian. They wouldn't sell to people that it, these two men sat down and decided everyone they sold to. Okay? Now this town is about 2,500 people. Okay? And um, these things I told you about are, are really, really, really close to coming true. Teachers, a couple years ago when I was there, um, they they invited these families up there buying land and these families were so devoted to moving into a Christian community where they could actually change and, and live the way God wanted them to live. And that, that's what their heart was. I mean, these families were so devoted, they gave up their lives. There was attorneys, there was doctors, there was mechanics, there was all kinds of people. And the town was actually really afraid when they moved up there terrified because they were they knew that these they were coming up there and they're gonna have so many people and comes with your town doubling or tripling or even 10 times what it was come a lot of problems but the thing is these people who moved up here who love Jesus a lot of them most all of them so when the town grew it didn't grow these two or three hundred people in the town were actually didn't like the new people moving in they decided that about 10 years into it they realized wow there's not as many problems there were supposed to be we have teachers coming up here. They're teaching kids. Our kids are learning more. Things are happening. An addiction center actually closed and left and went to another county. Okay? Drug dealers, the police said the drug dealers, they got less and less a problem where it's almost no problem now because, well, everyone was turning them in and no one was buying. So they actually moved away. So 
this ideal community, they've got their problems, but, but it's very, very, very close to happening, okay? It is, uh, um, where are we at here? Okay. Um, I want to talk to you guys about, I want to get into the word a little bit. And I want to get in, into, well, actually, I want to talk about Jesus a little bit here. In the New Testament, we have four accounts the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them are about the same. They talk about this ragtag guy, this, this gentleman, this man named Jesus, who had a ministry for about three years and got this group of guys together that probably no one else in the world would have put together. And he got them together and he told these 12 men that he was going to start a church. They had no idea what he was talking about, but he said, oh, we're going to start a church. And he told them by, by starting this church, there was going to be a movement when a movement he was going to start that was going to change the world. And these 12 men really bought into the whole thing until they saw him crucified. And when you see a guy crucified, you, you, kind of, you kind of think it's over. Even though he said he'd be back, even though he said these things, now this is like our friend. This is like our, one of our best friends we've fallen in love with. We've, we believed in him. We followed him for three years, and then we see him terribly, terribly executed. So three days later, then he rises from the dead, and that's everything changed. Um, these people were completely devoted to Jesus. They were completely devoted to the gospel, and they were completely devoted to the church because they knew that they were Gentiles and Jews, and they knew that there was no hope that they had no peace and that there was no assurance of them having a relationship with, Jesus, with God at all. So Jesus told them, we are going to change the world, what we are going to do. Now, they had no idea what changing the world meant. They had no idea of these 12 men when he came back that that was going to mean changing the world 2,000 years later in Phoenix, Arizona, changing it 1800 years ago with America. They had no idea of that. So they were completely devoted to Jesus. And in Acts 2, now remember this, when I say devoted, when they saw Jesus die on the cross, where do you think their devotion level went? Their devotion level, they were probably, they were probably really devoted, completely devoted when they walked with him. Well, when he got arrested, they were about a five. And when he got executed in front of, publicly in front of everyone, their devotion level was about a two. Well, he comes back, they look at the holes in his hands and these guys are like, oh. The devotion level immediately went to a 10. In fact, Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. Um, there's a part in Acts here, and in, in it's in 2, 42, 47. 
I want to just read in 42, I just want to read the first three words. And it says here, it says, they devoted themselves. And it says, for a moment, I want to just talk to you guys. I have these these buckets out here. And they represent a level, okay? Zero being not devoted, 10 being fully devoted. They actually represent a level, and I want to see if you guys can tell me where your level would be. Tonight, today where you guys were, where was your devotion level to Jesus? Now these guys were tens probably, but not only did they see him crucified, but they saw this guy get up and walk and then, and then walk with him later. I can understand that, okay? But where is, our, where is your devotion level? Now, I don't want this to sound, because this is usually the part where a pastor comes up and beats everyone because you're not a 10, okay? You have to be a 10 or you're a suck or you're not in or, you know. This is usually the part where you've got to be a 10 to go to church here. You don't, can't be a leader unless you're a 10. You can't be, or when they tell you, because I've, I've been in a church before where they told me 110% devoted. Okay. But uh, um, I will let you guys know right now that tonight, I'm just asking you where you're at. If we have twos in here tonight, I'm happy that you guys are here. We have fives, I'm happy. If we have, if we have eights, I'm happy we're in here. Um, but what I want to say to you tonight is that I think that if, if you're a two, what would it take to get you to a three? If you're a five tonight, what would it take you to get to you a six? You're a seven, how about an eight? What would it take you guys? What would you have to stop doing and what would you have to start doing to go up to that devotion level? Um, I want to talk to you about mine. There's been several times in my life where my devotion level has, has jumped up. Now, a lot of people look at us as pastors and we think we, you know, we magically jump out of bed and our pants fly out of the closet and they go right on us. But there's times in my life, and there's everyone's life, when we wake up in the morning and our devotion level is like a two, okay? Everyone. Sometimes it's an eight, sometimes it's a two. But there's been several times in my life where, you know, I thought I was like a five or a six. So all of a sudden, I get a little nudging. And when God wants to talk to me, he's always this, it's never this loud voice. It's never, I always feel this like, <clears throat> Matt, uh, what is that? I always feel this like, like, a, like, a, like, excuse me kind of thing on me, okay? And there's been several times in my life when I have been at a level where I thought I was, and I sat back and prayed. Um, time in my life, when I... Uh, 20 something years ago and I was at a point in time in my life where man I thought I was an 8 
If you'd have asked me, I thought I was an eight. God put a call in my my heart and a nudging, and then all of a sudden, I realized, man, I'm about a three. And what I had to do is I had to come to a point in time and I realized, well, okay, this is what I need to stop doing in my life to go up. And then this is what I had to, to start doing in my life to go up to the next one. One of the biggest times in my life was when Bishop asked me to be an elder in this church. Because to be honest with you, I thought I was pretty happy with the road I was on. I thought, you know, I'm doing fantastic. And he came to me and asked me that, and it's like, uh-oh. You know, I went, oh, okay. So I, uh, there's things in my life. I try to also, one of the first times in my life, my devotion level went up. I, I try to, because I, when I talked to you guys a month ago, a month and a half ago, I'm a very physical, I like to feel something or, or see something or picture something in my head. And so I wear a, a coin on my neck, okay? And it's a reminder of my first level of my devotion level of going from a four to an eight. Now, the thing about going from this where you're at tonight, even if you're an eight over here, okay, your devotion level's an eight, what happens is when you get up the eight, the nines, and the tens, your relationship with God starts to get so close that all of a sudden you realize that he has so much more for you. And then you wake up and you realize one next morning that you're really back here at the four because there's so much more he has for you. And so one of the things I'm a firm believer, because remember, I've seen a town of 200, okay, who were not happy about anyone coming to see them, okay? Good, solid Christian people. And those people went up there they're in churches. The churches are gigantic. The re- that, that community, really, to be honest with you, the reason it is the way it is is because the church is the church like it's supposed to be. That's the reason that that community is the way it is. There's like five different religions up there, all Christian religions, Baptist and Protestant, and all these different religions that are up there. And um, they all come together. They all come together when someone passes away. To this day, Four or five churches, will, pastors will call each other. They'll get two or 300 men to go over there and fix up this piece of property for these people. Okay? And so I've seen this, I, I have seen this happen, but, but one of the reasons that it, it happens is because the church, those people, and we are the church. The church isn't the walls. The church is those 2,000 people that moved up there. That's the church. That church is the church in the community like it's supposed to be. They're making the difference. Those people are making it. But those families made a devotion, were devoted to this cause to do that. They left things behind to do this. And so because of this, I believe 12, I saw what, I read what 12 men did. 12 men overnight became really devoted because some guy Christ walked up and says, it's me, I'm back. Here's the holes in my hands. Twelve men got so devoted that 2,000 years later, these men, couldn't, these men have still changed what we have. 
they saw this guy die on the cross, resurrect, come back from the dead, walk out of the tomb, and they could not stop talking about him. That's, they talked about him and talked about him and talked about him. A lot of them died for him. But, but their devotion level went from here to here. I truly believe in a church of 300 that if all of us, remember I said pastors beat you over the head for being a 10, not being a 10. I want every party, you need to be a 10. Everyone needs to be a 10. I think that if, if we were all to get a hold of this and we were to, everyone was to go up one level. If you're a two and you go to a three, if you're a four and you go to a five, I think, I know for a fact that we would change this community, okay? Ginger and I, several years ago, it wasn't something that was hard, heavy on our heart, but we were at a time in our place where, man, I thought I was an eight over here and a nine maybe. You know, I thought I was there. And then God put it on our heart and put it in this world and put it in this thing to rally and roll and rock and roll and set it up for us that a food pantry would open. Okay? And I went from being an eight where I thought I was and I thought I was given everything. All of a sudden, I, I thought, I'm, I feel like, man, I'm back at a four. And I thought, well, you know, I want to be a five. I need to do this food pantry. It's not something Ginger and I both talked about it. And the very beginning, I walked home and said, hey, baby, this is what we're thinking about. And the answer was, are you insane? You got to be crazy. But we went from a, a five or a six or wherever we were because, remember, you get further away as, that, as you see what God has for you as you see what he has more for us than we have no idea. We can't even imagine. So as he shows it to us, we go back a little bit because my devotion level is different than yours. Your devotion level will change every time that you get closer to God and you build this relationship with him. Your relationship is you get closer and closer and closer. He's gonna show you things. So although we think we're getting, the devotion level is getting closer, all of a sudden you wake up and you go, pow, I'm, I'm, I'm back here. Ginger and I, I think we went up, I think we went up a devotion level when we did this. I've had pastors in the community that when we first opened the pantry, I went to churches in the neighborhood because those are people, a lot of these people, don't, they, they ride bikes or they have cars that can't go five miles. Um, they walk, they pull wagons, they take buses. And so I knew that, I needed to connect them with churches in the neighborhood. And so I went into the neighborhood when we first opened because heck, it would be easier for me if, if I could get all the churches in the neighborhood to work. Well, we did it. I couldn't get a church that wanted to touch the pantry. Not one in that neighborhood. Not one, not one pastor had every excuse in the world than to come down and help and just talk to the people. And then one year later, or nine months later, something like that, a pastor, a bishop showed up of a, church and said I want to talk with you and I said yeah and he goes well he was a uh, uh, a Mormon bishop of a Mormon church down in South Phoenix and he came to me and he says you know I need to speak with you and I'm like oh okay I'm you know I'm a bishop of this church he said and I want to know I've you've my our people from our church have been coming down and getting food boxes from you guys 
and you guys are praying for him, laying hands on him. You're having talks with him. You're doing all this stuff with him. And, and I mean, having to explain the miracles and leave is, is different than yours, but I want to be part of this. I don't want to take anything away from you, but I want to be attached to this because you're changing the community. I'm hearing people say things about this that I've been down here for 30 years and, and they are saying things about the food pantry that you guys are really changing the, changing the community. You're those Jesus people that are, that are just loving on people and all you want to do is love on people. You want to cram nothing down their throat. You're just there to pray for them and love on them and hug them. That's what you're there to do. And this guy that's a totally different religion that I would have never thought I'd even be speaking with, that's not one of the men I approached, came to me and says, we're changing the community. So if we were to go up, I mean, we're a church of 300. If we were to go up one level, we can change a community. We go up two levels, we can change the state. 12 men with no cars, no social media, what they did, people are still talking about 2,000 years later. So if, I mean, I think that if all of us were to go up two levels, we could change this state. We would be the ideal place. We could make a difference. Now, I don't think we'll be here 2,000 years from now. So, so I, don't think that, I don't think that's going to be an issue. But, but 12 men could not stop talking about him. Went to, went to another level of devotion and 2,000 years, I'm saved because of that. You guys are in this building because of that. They had no idea when God told them, we're going to start a church. This is a movement that's going to change the world. Their world consisted of probably 1,500 miles. That was it. They had no idea what they were going to be doing. And so I want to talk to you guys. The first thing with me, and I'm talking to you because I've been through this with, I, in fact, I've, as we were going through this and I was preparing for this, I went through something too. There's something that I got out of it. And the first thing we need to do is when we get ready to go to another devotion level, we need to talk with God about something in our heart that we need to stop doing. There's something, there's something in, there's something that we're doing it may be big. It may be something you can't tell anyone about. It may be something that you have to go to the altar for that you can't handle. It may be something so small. But as I was speaking about that, I'm sure that you guys, when I said there's something, in order to go to that next devotion level, there's something that you need to stop doing. I know that everyone in this room probably got a little nudge in their spirit about, wow, there's, something been on my heart that I needed to stop doing. Something that, that I've been meaning to, but I just haven't done it. And one of the things I want to say is uh, Jeff and I, my, my brother, Elder Jeff, I call him Elder or Jeff, but um, we, used to, we used to play this game and I played it one time with him. And I still have the, nut, the, the skin off my knuckles that are gone. I have these scars on my hands. And this is a game that I used to play with him. 
and I played with him once. I couldn't play it again. He never told me how he won the game, but, but Jet Weaver's a, a straw game. He would fold a straw in half, and he would stuff his straw full of plastic or napkins or whatever, and he'd fold it. And Jeff and I, we would scratch each other with our straw. Well, I didn't know that. I just bent a straw over, and I'm scratching his knuckles. We were boys, and we liked to hurt each other because we were loving brothers. And, and so I'm playing this game with Jeff, and Jeff goes to scratch my hand, and he literally just takes the skin off my hand, starts bleeding. And I'm his older brother, and I'm thinking, ho, 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 I'm going to whack his arm off with this thing. So I take my straw, which is just bent over, and I, I scratch his hand. It doesn't even leave a mark. Well, I don't know his straw is full of this. Now, I'm going, oh, gosh, i got to do this again. So I hold my hand out there again. Jeff takes this straw and whacks my, scratches down my hand again. Another cut, and it's bleeding. Now, I do, keep doing this. I must have done it eight or ten times. I keep scratching his hand, and my hand is just bleeding. And I'm thinking, I'm his older brother. i got to fold it again or double fold it or figure out some way to get even or at least to, to get over on him, to figure out I'm not going to stop. Even though it hurts, like, heck, I'm not even letting you know it hurts. I'm starting to look like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that just looks bad, you know. So I'm playing this game with him. My, my knuckles are just bleeding. Now we're in the backseat of the car. My mother doesn't even know this is going on. She's driving down the road, you know, thinking her sons for the first time are not trying to kill each other in the backseat. And, um, and uh, as I was doing this sermon or trying to figure out what I was going to touch you guys, that story reminded me because it reminded me of that story of when you, you remember that, that get kid Charlie? Remember 10 years ago, Henry and Charlie and the little boy stuck his finger in his mouth? That's what came back to me. Those, my brother Jeff's story of how, no matter how much it hurt, I just kept doing it. You know what I mean? And even though I knew it was stupid and I knew I was getting the hide tore off my hands, I kept doing it and I kept doing it, even though it hurt. And when Charlie, when, that, when the little brother went up and stuck the finger in his mouth, he got bit on, and then the little kid laughs evilly, and then... Harry goes up and sticks his finger in his mouth again. And I remember being, I remember when Jeff's scratching me, finally at the end of it, I couldn't take it anymore. I remember being so angry at him, horribly angry at him. Now, it reminded me of sometimes I do that to myself in life. Sometimes I do what I know I shouldn't do and then I do it again because I think I'm going to get a different result. So I do it again, and it's the same result. But then sometimes in life I do it again. And then it takes me a few minutes before I realize, well, well and, and then sometimes I get mad. I get mad whoever I'm working with or I get whatever job I'm trying to do or thing I'm working on. Sometimes I even get mad at God. Well, God... You know the reason I was doing this. My heart was good. This is, but, but that's what happens sometimes. And so sometimes we need to realize that we need to stop doing things. We need to realize that sometimes we hurt ourselves and we just keep doing it. And it's our own fault that the reason we do, keep doing it. It reminds me of a story in Exodus 8.8. 8 where Moses basically 
has got the job of um, relocating pretty much Israel out of Egypt, okay? And uh, he goes to Pharaoh and says, you know, Pharaoh, you must make my people leave. And Pharaoh says, no, and that's when the 10 plagues come in. And so how many people like frogs? How, how many do this? How many people do not like big bullfrogs? You don't? I know, I know my wife doesn't like. You don't like big frogs, Kale? Oh, okay. Well, there's a reminder of a story here. I'm going to read it, 8.8. Eight. It says, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer, uh, uh, offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those remaining in the Nile. So now this is where there is frogs everywhere. There is frogs. You walk across the floor and step on bullfrogs. There's frogs in ovens. There's frogs in palaces. There's frogs in houses. There's, there's frogs everywhere, okay? So he goes up to the king and says, okay, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to let you decide when the frogs are going to go away. And Pharaoh tells him tomorrow. Now I got a question for you. Kale, if you were walking on frogs, would you want to spend another day with the frogs? No. No. <laughs> frogs, no. None of us would. But that's what we do. We actually, lots of times we decide that tomorrow, we're not going to stop what we need to do. That little voice you heard or that little that little push you felt a little ago when I talked about having to stop something. That is, that little nudging is, is procrastination. It's, it's one more night with the frogs. And I don't know why we decide and I've decided sometimes to spend one more night with the frogs. But, but we do. That's just, that's just life. It, I don't know why that is. And it says here, um, I, in fact, there's a little poem that, I, that I, I looked up and I read, and it says, Procrastination, my greatest sin. It brings me endless sorrow. I'm going to stop doing it. Perhaps I'll do, start tomorrow. And it says, um, I know for a fact, because I put on my pants the same way you guys do. I know for a fact that there's that there's people in this room tonight that in order we need to go to the next level of devotion, there's so much for us. I know there's things that we have that are, that are simple, destructive little patterns, whether it be driving super fast to work at 8 a.m. in the morning, giving people hand signals when they cut you off on the freeway. Could be worse things. But I know that all of us have those things that, are, that we need to stop doing. And that is something that, that tonight can be a night that you guys can just stop and say, I stop them tonight. I'm not going to have one more night with the frogs. I'm not going to stick my finger in Charlie's mouth again. And I'm sure not going to let Jeff rip the hide off my knuckles again. I'm just not going to, you know. But now, coming with, with stopping something, you need to start something. There is something that you guys, that we need to start. Now, that is something 
that my first rendition of this was to give you a list of like 20 things. But then I thought, you know, I don't want anyone leaving here saying, well, my pastor said I should start doing this. Pastor of my church said, I should start doing this and eating this way or doing this thing or doing this. So that is something I, I, I wasn't going to give any examples. I think that you guys, in order to go to this, this next devotion level, to go to change our community, to change our state, to change our world. I mean, if we, if we were to jump at several levels, the things we could do, but we need to start something. Ginger and I started a pantry, okay? There's things that you need, that, that you know you need to stop. There's things that you guys know that you need to start doing. Those are things that I think tonight, when you guys home the next couple of days, you guys can actually pray about those. God will give that to you. We'll give you what you can do to, to, to start you, what you need to start. Now, to be honest with you, one of my biggest fears when I started going through this was thinking about whenever I start, decide to stop something, okay, is I'm sure someone's thinking in this room, well, Pastor Matt, I've tried stopping that before, and I, it's too hard, I can't do it, it doesn't work. Or I've, it's just not possible to stop that because of my job. It's not possible because my finances have stopped that. It's, it's not possible to stop doing this or stop doing that. Um, that's just fear. I've run across it, okay? And one of the things that, um, one of the things about fear is in my own life, I've wondered where I would be if I hadn't let fear get the best of me, okay? Now, I, I, I will give you a little story because Jeff's not here tonight, and so this is a good night for him not to be here. When I was growing up as a kid, Jeff one time watched a movie called Grizzly back in the 70s. Horrible bear about everyone camping and this grizzly bear would go eat everyone, okay? And so Jeff would, all I had to do laying in bed at nighttime, we torture each other during the day. You can't believe we ever loved each other, but it's, it's pretty amazing. One of us didn't die. But if I wanted to get back to him and had the worst day in the world, I could lay there in bed at nighttime and we always had shared a room and go, grizzly in the dark and I'd go grizzly and he would scream and freak out I mean now there was no bears we're in Phoenix Arizona there's no bears wherever we're at but all I had to do was say grizzly do that and Jeff was terrified and so um uh I wanted to, uh, actually, I wanted to see if we could, I have a video that I was going to show Jeff, but I'll play it anyways. I got a few more minutes. If you can, let's play this video. I don't know if you guys have seen this before or whatever, but. This one's for you if you're able to watch this, man.
Okay. Now, you guys weren't there. The fear was not real. Well, it was not for us. Obviously, the guy breathing, you hear heavy breathing riding his bike, the fear was quite real. But, but by showing that video, what I want to get is, is although our temperatures raised, our pulse probably looked at it, made us afraid, it wasn't real. Now, there are things in our life that we are afraid of. There are things that finances, there are things with, with kids and families and jobs and, and all kinds of things that are fear. But one of the things that I've realized over my last 25 years of, 25 years of making this closer and closer and closer relationship to God is that when I focus on my fear, I can't focus on the Father. And when I focus on the Father, I realize that he's greater than the fear. And so whenever I've gotten closer, whether it be one level, two levels, whether it's been three levels I get closer, it's always been to a point in time in my life where the, the thing to overcome the fear is you need to build this relationship that's getting closer and closer with God. And, and the fear gets, doesn't seem as much. You, you realize that, that he will take care, he's bigger than anything that comes after you. And so that's one of the things that whenever I've overcome it, I have to come back, there's a baseline. Okay, Matt, God is this big, your problem is like this big. And I have to do that with myself. And tonight, I, I wanted to do something for you guys. Um, tonight is, uh, um, we have actually, uh, there's moments in my life and things that have happened whenever I've gone up a devotion level. And I, like I said, I'm a very tangible person. I, I picture it and then remember, take a snapshot in my head of this picture. I, I find something. I have a pendant that has a, a coin in it. It reminds me of that one time I made that devotion level. When I drive to work, I, I see the pantry. It reminds me of that devotion level. It's something that I can physically attain. It's something that, that I see. It's easy for me to remember because remember, I wake up some mornings and I'm, man, my devotion level, I'm tired. It's four o'clock in the morning. I get ready. I know I have three hours of loading a truck. I'm, my devotion level is right around in here somewhere when I get up at four in the morning or three o'clock in the morning or whatever. So I have like my necklace here. My necklace, used, to me, it represents that time. But at the point in time, my necklace, it always pulls hair out of my chest, okay? Always yanks it. So I always made a thing that whenever my hair gets ripped out two or three times a day, I always say, thank you for Jesus, whatever I'm doing. But it's something physical. Remember, I'm a physical guy. I have to touch it, feel it, picture it. That's what I do. Tonight, Ginger and I, and have brought, I would love for everyone to get involved with, with going to a next devotion level. I would love to. And if this is something that you guys tonight would like to, all of us come together and do this, Ginger and I have a coin for you guys tonight that we would like to give you guys. It's something that you can hold. It's something you can put in your wallet. It's something that you can open your wallet tomorrow morning and put it in your pocket and realize that, hey, 
this brings me back. This is, this is where, man, I feel like a two right now. I'm, I'm a seven. I know God made me a seven. This is, this is where I'm at when I'm on top. You know what I mean? I'm tired. You'll remember where it's at. But tonight when we end the service, Ginger is going to be up here. She's got a bag. The coins are actually, the coins are a little over 2,000 years old. These coins that we're going to give you tonight are actually coins from when Jesus walked the earth. Um, I don't, I don't, I think there's probably one for everyone. Um, the, the choir or the, if, if we've ever, if Ginger and I have ever given you guys one, then, um, don't take another one. That way everyone can get one tonight. But, um, I hope that you guys, uh, I hope that you guys have enjoyed the message. I hope you guys got something from it.